Let's open our Bibles to Joel chapter 3. We've been talking about the day of the Lord, and it has been described in the book of Joel as a day of darkness, a day of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. That's back in chapter 2. When you talk of the day of the Lord, you're talking about a, a day of God's judgment that will come. And it covers not just a few uh, moments of time, not just 24 hours, but a whole uh, great period of time during the Great Tribulation. In fact, into the ushering end of the day of God, which uh, Peter speaks of, wherein the heavens shall be on fire, shall be dissolved. And so it covers a great length and period of time. And we could discuss man's day is now. And the day of Christ, of course, will be... Christ's coming at the second coming of Christ when uh, we appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then the day of God is uh, spoken of in Second Peter 3, verse 12. But in the midst of the tribulation period, there's a day of the Lord. And it's called, in, uh, in fact, if you study all of the uh, minor prophets and the major prophets as well, you'll find that it's spoken of as a day of darkness and day of gloominess, a day of judgment. And that's basically the tenor you should get out of that kind of... That, that statement, the day of the Lord. It's more than just Christ's second coming. It has to do with a pe- terrible period of time during the tribulation period. In fact, we've already read some verses in chapter 2. Notice in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For the day of the Lord cometh, that's the last part of it. And verse 2, it says, A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and a thick darkness. Down in verse 3, a fire devoureth before them. Last part of verse 3, and behind them a desolate desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. Uh, verse 10 says, the earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be darkened, the stars shall withdraw their shining. You find these uh, things in the book of Revelation, and the Lord shall utter His voice before His army. Last part of verse 11, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? So that's the description you'll find <clears throat> throughout the prophets concerning that great and terrible day. Now we get into the third chapter of the book of Joel. And uh, it's divided into rather a threefold outline that we could look at. Verses 1 through 8, the judgment of the nations. When the Lord comes back, He's going to judge the nations that will be assembled against Jerusalem. And then the preceding warfare of the nations and how it ends in verses 9 through 16. And then uh, verses 17 through 21, you'll find Jehovah in the midst of his people. The Lord's in the midst of his people, 17 through 21. Uh, Okay, let's look at verse 1 and we'll just take it verse by verse and talk about it as we go along. It says in verse 1, For behold, in those days, in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of, Jew, of Judah and Jerusalem. Now then, we said that time is not just a day of 24 hours, but it's a great, it's a long period of time during the great tribulation when Judah and Jerusalem will be brought into uh, out of their captivity. And uh, in fact, if you uh, find in the second chapter, you'll notice in the last part of verse 19, it says, And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. The Jews, Israel has been a reproach among the heathen for hundreds and even thousands of years. From the time of their previous captivity, and then especially the last 2,000 years, 
since the time of Christ that they've been scattered among nations. So we know that it's talking about a future time when there will no more, they will no more be a reproach. And then he says in verse 2, And I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Do you ever see a day when there was so much fuss and uh, division and problems in the Holy Land as it is today? It seemed like it's getting worse and worse all the time. And you know, there's all kinds of plans of nations and men to try to bring peace to Jerusalem, to Israel to the land of Palestine. But I believe that according to the Scripture that that peace will never be fully realized until Jesus comes and, and establishes it a peaceful time then. Uh, when we talk about that day, we've already mentioned man's day. You find that First 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. When Paul speaks of being judged of man's judgment, you find the day of Christ mentioned in Philippians 1, verses 6-10. through 10. You find the day of God mentioned in 2 Peter 3, verse 12. When Peter talks about the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, he says the day of God, and he says that uh, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And then after the day of God, it ushers in the day of the eternal state of things that you find over in the book of Revelation. But looking at this verse again, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, will plead with them, Therefore, my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. Now, we know that in the Old Testament, as far as the Babylonian captivity, these things were historically true for Israel in the time of Joel and Amos and these other uh, prophets that we find on the scene because each of them speak of the terrible times that Israel was under at that time. In verse 4 it says, Yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the coast of Palestine? Will ye render me a recompense? And if ye recompense me swiftly and speedily, I will return your recompense upon your own head. So when we're talking about uh, this uh, particular passage of Scripture in Joel chapter 3, we find that actually you could say verses 1 through 17, which we've included, or 1 through 16 at least, which we uh, included in that short outline that I gave you a little bit ago, that there's nothing but judgment, and judgment basically against uh, the enemies of God's people. And he's going to take up against uh, his people's enemies, and we know in the book of uh, Revelation that that's spoken of. And it's talking about conditions that existed in the Old Testament. Verse 3, They have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. And it goes on to, to tell how that they will receive judgment for such actions as they had. When you get to the book of Amos, you'll find that there are all kinds of terrible conditions in the nations round about Israel and Judah. Verse 5 says, Because ye have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples, my goodly, pleasant things. They had taken God's silver and gold. And uh, you remember in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, and you remember that how that in the in the book of Daniel that how that they were drinking wine out of the golden vessels and things that were taken out of God's temple, God's house, and desecrated the house of God. And so 
he says, carried them into your temples in my goodly pleasant things, <clears throat> the desirable things of God. In verse 6, he says, The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have, have you sold unto the Grecians that you might remove them far from their border. You know, Israel has been a persecuted people all through the Old Testament, beginning back in the days of uh, when uh, Joseph went down into Egypt and all the children of Israel went out, Jacob and all of his family went down into Egypt and then uh, from the days of Moses, beginning with Exodus chapter 1, right on, and how that uh, when they had gotten down there, they were persecuted by Pharaoh and the Egyptians and their children were threatened with death. The baby boys were to be cast into the river. Moses escaped that death and, and delivered after 400 years of bondage. They were delivered from their taskmasters and set free by uh, blood and by power. Redeemed out of Egypt. The Passover lamb, blood of the lamb, and then the power of God that opened up a way for them. And then brought into Canaan's land by Joshua. And then they had to fight for every inch of the way there. If you remember, Joshua had to lead them. And he said, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that shall be your coast. And we find that that land had to be taken by force. And it was. And yet God blessed them. And yet... After that, they'd fall into sin. God would send them judges and deliverers. In the book of Judges, is a whole time of uh, His people departing from His ways and God having to send wicked nations to oppress them and to persecute them in order to chasten them and permit them to be persecuted and chastened in order that they might repent and call upon God. And they'd call upon God and God would send a deliverer and deliver them. And then they'd fall right back into the same uh, way of doing. And then all through these prophets that we've been studying, they uh, if you studied Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of those, uh, the larger prophets, you'll find that God's people departed from Him and God had to rebuke them and bring them back. And the, the captivity by the Assyrians and the, also the Babylonians were spoken of. So these are just typical of the days and the troubles that they've had all throughout the ages. And we know that they're having those troubles now. And they shall have those troubles in the great tribulation, which in the prophets is spoken of as a time of what? Jacob's trouble. The prophets speak of that time of tribulation as a time of Jacob's trouble. And we know when we get to the book of Revelation, we study how they're delivered and how that God sets them apart for Himself. And make them, makes them once again a testimony. And he chooses 12,000 out of each tribe, 144,000 to bear his witness during that particular time. So a lot of these things that we're studying have both a historical setting of what they went through in the days of the prophets and also a prophetic outlook as to what they will go through in the future. And we'll see that as we progress along with our verse by verse here. Notice now, verse 7, it says, Behold, I will raise, it, raise them out of the place whither ye have sold them, and will return your recompense upon your own head. That's the nations that were, in, were giving the children of Israel their problems and their persecution. In verse 8, And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah. It would backfire on them. They would reap what they had sown. And they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken it. So what we find is the judgment of God upon the nations in the first eight verses of this uh, section of uh, Joel chapter 3. 
Now then, let's look at the second section of it. The warfare of these, of these nations and how it ends. Verse 9 says, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Now notice, beat your plowshares into swords. Remember, he's going to tell Israel at some time to beat their sword into plowshares after the wars are over and after peace has come that he brings. In fact, you'll find that in the book of Isaiah. They shall beat beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. But here it says, beat your plowshares into swords. God is preparing an army of nations to come up against his people and then he's going to defeat them. And your pruning hooks into spears. That's the reverse of what we've always desired and what it will happen to Israel. Let the weak say, I'm strong. He's going to let them feel like that they have all the weapons of war. Let them feel like that they're stronger than Jerusalem. They're stronger than God's people. And he's just setting the stage for that great uh, judgment that he will bring against these uh, that come up against his people. And then he goes on to continue in verse 11, says, Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause uh, cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Verse 12, Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. God says he's going to sit to judge them when when this time does come. We'll give you something in Revelation in just a moment. And it says in verse 13, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Let's uh, stop there and turn to the book of Revelation, the 14th chapter. I believe this will give us a little enlightenment as to what we're talking about in the period of time that we're talking about such judgment coming. Revelation 14 and verses uh, 14 through 20 here in the 14th chapter of Revelation, speak of the harvest and its vintage. And this brings us now to the coming of the Son of Man. That's in view. And it's a day of vengeance that uh, will be coming. And it's the reapers will be the angels. And we've, you know, Jesus spoke of the reapers being the angels. And they would come and reap this harvest. But let's begin with verse 14. It says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Remember, the judgment is turned over to Jesus, isn't it? And he has in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for our grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress. What? Look at this. What kind of reaping is it? Of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and the blood came out of the winepress even to the horse bridles by the space of 1,600 furlongs. This is the day of vengeance. Remember we told you about Time and time again, we referred to Luke chapter 4 where Jesus preached his first sermon. And he preached it from the book of Isaiah chapter 61. And he said that 
He quoted, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, bring deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised. And then he says, And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops right there. Because Isaiah said, And the day of vengeance of our God. In Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. The day of vengeance. So Jesus stopped when He said, The acceptable year of the Lord. And he didn't say the day of vengeance of our God. Because in a moment he would say to them, to those people round about, that were listening to his first sermon, he was going to say, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Well, the day of vengeance was not, will not be fulfilled even yet until the time comes that you'll find it fulfilled here in Revelation. And that's why Jesus stopped exactly where he did, quoting from the book of Isaiah, so he could say, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And you compare Luke 4, uh, verses 16 through 21, with Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. If you want to just jot down those two scriptures and study out what I've just given to you, in comment, it would be good. Luke four sixteen through 21 Jesus' first sermon. And Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. And you'll see that he comes short of saying the day of vengeance of our God. So this that we're reading of in Revelation is the day of vengeance. Now let's hurry back to Joel. And I'll just give you that so you can study it out and see that what we're talking about will actually one day be fulfilled. And then that will also include Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2 where he concludes with the day of vengeance of our God. Now back in the book of Joel, he said in verse 13, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Verse 14, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. What is near? The day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? It's a day of what? Judgment. Day of darkness. A day of gloominess, a day of thick darkness. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now, I mentioned the other night when I said to study out this verse, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And I don't say it in a derogatory way, but I said that, uh, you know, Billy Graham, when he first started his ministry, preached on the, the valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And he was using this in a way to give an invitation and in a way, if you want to turn it out that the, the multitudes are in a place of judgment, that would be fine. But according to the context, it doesn't mean that there's the day of the Lord is near for them to be saved. It doesn't mean that at all. It means their judgment is near. And I just wanted to make that clear. That, uh, you know, we want people to decide for Christ. And as I say, I could never measure up to what that wonderful evangelist has done in the way of ministry and winning thousands and thousands of people to the Lord, but I just wanted to give you what I believe this context means because he's still ministering all over the world and preaching the gospel and many people are being saved. But I just want you to see this when he's talking about in the valley of decision, it's not talking about people having an opportunity to make a decision. It means that they're in the valley of threshing or judgment or the verdict is out. So this is a day of judgment and sentence. And these multitudes are not awaiting salvation but they're awaiting their condemnation, whether they realize it or not. They're awaiting their judgment. And that's what's happening. That's what, what will be happening in the, in the tribulation period. Those people will not be waiting a day that they'll be saved. These heathen 
nations will be judged at the coming of the Lord. And when he casts in his sickle, he will reap the harvest of the vintage of the wrath of Almighty God. That's what it's talking about. So let's just get in our minds what it's clearly talking about. And as I say, it doesn't hurt to, to say that people ought to be called to make a decision when God's judgment is threatening. But most people, these people would not be because according to this prophecy within this context, it's not talking about them having opportunity of salvation, but the fact that they are now facing the judgment that they deserve. Sad, isn't it? When people will go so far away from God that there's no hope left but judgment coming and determined. And this was judgment determined. The word decision here means concision or threshing. The threshing or judgment that would come. So it was a sentence against them. And it was about to be carried out. The verdict was already in. The verdict is already in. Judgment is the only thing that was left. You know, when when the judge gives his verdict and he starts setting the sentence, it's too late then to reconcile the situation. He's already going to make his judgment. He's going to say two years, five years, ten years, or whatever. Or life or death. And when God makes his judgment in this this condition, and concerning these nations, their doom is there. And he's not talking about giving them opportunity of salvation. And you'll find that in the book of Revelation. Did you find where we read in the 14th chapter when uh, the angel said, put in your sickle, we'll give them another opportunity to be saved? No, he said, come and reap the harvest for the heathen. They're, they're, it's ready and ripe to be harvested. They've rejected Christ long enough. Their judgment is determined. And the angel was who? The son of, God, the son of man. And he thrust in his sharp sickle and it says the vengeance of God, the day of his wrath. And that's the harvest that's reaped. Boy, there's one thing you and I that we need to thank God every day for. And that is the salvation that we have in Jesus and the redemption that we have. And the safety and security from wrath and judgment, both now and forever. But there will be a day in the tribulation period. You know, Jesus even speaks of it in the book of Revelation where He said that when He brought all these judgments upon different people... And he said, yet they repented not of their deeds, but they hardened their heart and they continued in their idolatries and their sorceries and their, and their uh, fornication and adulteries. And he says, yet they repented not. After he brought these plagues upon people. Have you ever heard uh, people say, well, when God's judgment comes, then people repent. It did and they didn't. And you know, in the book of Romans, the Bible says, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. When people can recognize God's goodness and God's provision and God's salvation that He's provided, that will re- lead them to repentance more than them hardening their hearts. Because a lot of times, it's like Pharaoh of old, they yet harden their hearts against God when these things happen. Well, when something happens to me, I say, Lord, I don't want to go through this. And if I've done anything wrong... And I, I, I search my heart and soul and ask God to deliver me from His chastening hand if He chastens me. And when God chastens uh, people and judges people of that nature that we're sp- uh, talking about in that, that uh, terrible uh, degree of judgment, it makes them harder. Like old Pharaoh back there, remember? He hardened his heart against Moses and hardened his heart against God. And when he said, I have sinned, he just wanted Moses to remove the judgment. And then he turned right around and hardened his heart again. So, I just want you to get this verse because I think it's been much misunderstood as other verses of the Bible. When it says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. 
the day of the Lord we've described as what kind of day? Judgment, gloominess. It's not talking about the day when the Lord is near for them to repent, but the day of the Lord's judgment is near in the valley of decision. Uh, verse 15, The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. Deliverance will come to them in the midst of all this turmoil. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall, uh, no, there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. We know this has to be future, doesn't it? Because even to this day the strangers pass through her. And even in the days of old, when uh, their deliverance came from uh, captivities of old, the strangers still pass through her. So we're definitely talking about a prediction of future things, without a shadow of a doubt. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell safely. Uh, Judah, I, I was quoting something else in my mind when I was reading that. I was thinking of the other scripture that says Judas shall dwell safely. Every man under his own vine and under his own fig tree. But it says, but Judas shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. But there's a scripture that says that Judas shall dwell safely in Israel as well. And every man, every man under his own vine and under his own fig tree and there will be fruitfulness and there will be peace for them. But Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion, even as the Lord will dwell in Zion. And I believe that this uh, third chapter of the book of Joel stands a future fulfillment of prophecy rather than just a historical setting, even though some of these sins that they committed were historical and common to the days of Joel and other prophets. Well, we trust that you've gotten something out of this. I do hope that we can get into the book of Amos and that we can get you started on the very first chapter of Amos because